Welcome to The Healthcare Hangover. I'm one of your hosts, David Contorno. And I'm your other host, Emma Fox. This is a podcast about the headaches we've been encountering in the healthcare system that are leaving us feeling a little hungover. Let's dive in. All right, we're back again. And this time we've got a topic that I know is going to get you super fired up. I know I saw when you read the article and your subsequent post on LinkedIn was, I I pictured you yelling when I was reading your commentary (laughs) on LinkedIn. So I want to give some color to our audience. Today, we're talking about United Healthcare specifically, which is the U in VUCA. Uh, You have quite a colorful history with United Healthcare, and you've told it before, but our audience probably hasn't heard it. So weren't you kind of in bed with UHC for a while? Yeah. When I started the business at 17 years old uh, as a broker, the big plan, the most popular and competitive plan in the New York area was a company called Oxford Health Plans. And I, among a lot of other people, helped them grow pretty rapidly. And eventually they got purchased by United Healthcare. Now, before they got bought, I was actually selling a lot of United Healthcare because United Healthcare had come in with an in-network deductible, which New York had not seen before. Everything was co-pays, co-pays for hospitals, co-pays for inpatient, co-pays for outpatient. And what I was able to sell as a competitive edge was a deductible you only have to pay one time a year, whereas a copay you have to pay every time you go to the hospital. And I went and the $500, 100% plans, for those of you that are brokers, this is how far back I'm going, it was a $500 deductible and then 100% coverage and only on hospital-based claims. Everything else was just a copay. Um, was the most competitive plan. Um, and so I sold a ton of United Healthcare. And when Oxford was sold to United Healthcare, a lot of the um, executives kind of mingled together. Some of the United people I knew stayed, and a lot of the Oxford people I knew now became part of United Healthcare. So I had a pretty good relationship with executives up and down the chain. When I moved to North Carolina um, in 2007, United was the second biggest carrier in United Healthcare, but a very in, in North Carolina, sorry, but a very, very, very distant second to Blue Cross and Blue Shield. They were single digits of market share. So once again, I come into the market selling United's wares and I sell a ton of United Healthcare. Like, oh my gosh. And I'm going to these annual events for their echelon brokers, which is their top 1% of brokers in the country. And it's like Willis Towers, Willis Towers Watson and Aon and Gallagher and Brown and Brown, and then Contorno and Company or Lake Norman <laughs> Benefits, depending on the timing of it. Um, so I felt a little bit out of my, out of my skis, but um, there I was with the big boys because that's how much I was producing. I got massive bonus checks, usually a few trips a year to private cruises or golf outings in Ireland on a private jet is crazy. Um, But when I started to talk about these alternative plans, the carriers, and not just United, but certainly United, um, rightfully (laughs) understood that if this picks up steam, that it's not good for their interests. And so they would threaten to cut my contract if I kept doing essentially what was right for the client, uh, the employer and the employees. But eventually- They legitimately threatened you? mm -hmm, Yeah. yeah, Both Blue Cross and United sent executives in. They sat in my conference room. (laughs) And I, I remember bringing out examples. I was like, Blue Cross, this is yours. And this is what I sold them. Tell me how yours is sellable. How would you spin a worse plan for a lot more money? How would you sell it? Tell me. Because if you can tell me that, then I'll, I'll try it. But they couldn't tell me that. All they cared about was my closing ratio. How many groups did I close in relation to the groups that I quoted? Mm-hmm. And they told me they're used to 80%, especially Blue Cross. And I'm doing like 8%. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they would threaten me. And if, if United in particular cut my contract, I'd have to lay off 75% of my staff. My financial picture would change dramatically. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a big deal. And so when I sold my agency to private equity and started over again, 
uh, with you, I committed to not taking commissions and bonuses from carriers. We, we, I believe you work for whoever cuts your paycheck. And if Blue Cross and Blue Shield is cutting your broker's paycheck, they work for Blue Cross and Blue Shield. As a matter of fact, why don't you tell the audience how brilliant you think it is in terms of what the carriers did to, to, to create the sales force? Oh my gosh, it's, it's genius. If I could figure out how to get thousands upon thousands of people to be producers for e-powered benefits and pay them pennies, on the premium that they're bringing in. I I mean, I wouldn't do it because I'm ethical, but you know, they've they've figured out how to get these producers to work for them basically for free. No overhead, no benefits, no salary. They're just getting little pittance of commission. And then and that's how brokers I think get stuck in this little cycle, right? We've talked about it before. I want to go on record and I'll I'll say this over and over again. I don't believe that brokers are inherently unethical people. I do believe that the landscape we've been given to conduct our business is unethical. And so a lot of us trying to do our best with what we've been given, but let's think about what we've been given. When I went to insurance school, which is required, I didn't learn anything other than how to sell carrier health plans. Did you? Uh, the ones that I went to were not just carrier health plans, but there's whatever carrier I was there for their specific health plans. Right. And here's the thing to David's point, when it comes to who do you work for? I bet if you're an advisor who sells carrier plans, you've had to go through some training for that carrier. I bet you had to sign appointment paperwork to be appointed to sell the products from that carrier, right? It all sounds like you're a producer for a carrier to me, except you're accepting the lowest amount of money possible for doing all of the work for them. Unless I do exactly what they want me to do, and then I can make a shit ton of money. (laughs) Well, I want to... I want to go into this article because I know you're going to get so riled up. But this article came out about United Healthcare's Q2 reports and written by our good friend Wendell Potter, former Cigna executive, now known very largely in our industry as uh, a very influential uh, writer and speaker who started whistleblowing after he saw some very uh, heartbreaking behavior. Uh, happening under his watch at Cigna. He's been very open about it. I really suggest you check him out, but he writes some really beautiful articles. This one though is specific about United Health's profit and how much of a jump they've had. What are you thinking here? Because this, I've got some points to make, but I think you're more pissed off about this than I am. I just want America to see this for what it is. If you don't, at the end of this podcast, understand that this is a completely rigged system that you, your employer, your employees are never, ever going to win, then we've done a bad job of explaining what this article actually says. But essentially, this is looking at United Health Group's Q2 2023 earnings. In many cases, it's comparing it to Q2 of 2022. But what it shows is, and what you understand about United Healthcare is they have really I, three main business units. They have the commercial, which is United Healthcare, which is... Um, the insurance division. Um, they have a Medicare division, which is massive. And then they have Optum, which is largely a pharmacy benefit manager that processes the transactions within their plans uh, when you pick a drug up with a pharmacy. What's staggering though here is two things. Number one, overall, 
United Healthcare's revenue, uh, United Health Insurance revenue, the um, the insurance side of the house rose 16%. Their profit rose 13%. So their profit rose a little bit slower than their revenue, which means there was something in there that was eating up a little bit more of the expenses, right? But overall, United Healthcare grew, United Health Group as a, as a combined entity saw a massive increase in revenue and a massive increase in profit. So the question becomes, if it didn't come from the commercial insurance side, the employer and individual markets, where did it come from? Well, it came from two places. One is Optum. And Optum, again, is a pharmacy benefit manager, largely, not exclusively, but largely, that processes a transaction within the plan. And even then, it's only when you pick up a prescription at the pharmacy. What's amazing is, is that their revenue increased by 25%. So they are quickly catching up and they are doing more profit as a percentage of revenue and increasing profit and revenue faster than United Healthcare is. And nobody talks about this. I mean, in my mind, the best analogy I come up with, it's not perfect, is imagine if a company just produced tires for airplanes. That's all they did. But they were 10 times, 20 times larger than Boeing that created the entire aircraft. Like you'd think something's wrong with that picture. Mm -hmm. That's what's going on here. So a lot of that profit increase came from Optum, but you know where the other side came from? The Medicare side of the house. Now what's interesting about the Medicare side of the house compared to the commercial side of the house is that on the commercial side of the house, something called the medical loss ratio applies. That allows them to keep 15 or 20% of the premium they collect. The rest of it must be spent on healthcare costs for the people they insure. That means if they want their 15 or 20% to go up as a dollar amount, then it has to be 15 or 20% of a bigger number, right? Which is premium. And the only way for premium to go up is for claims to go up. So the first thing that we really need people to understand is on the commercial side of the house, higher costs equals more revenue and more profit, which is completely backwards to almost every single other business model of every employer who's buying United Healthcare Insurance. The second point is... Um, the medical loss ratio doesn't apply on the Medicare side. See, on the Medicare side, if they keep claims down, profit goes up. On the commercial side, if they keep claims down, profit goes down. So the second place that profit came from to offset not as big of an increase in profit on the insurance side was Medicare. What does that mean? Let me translate that for you. That means that United Healthcare has gotten so big that they figured out a way to not just make money on the employers that they supposedly serve, not just make money on the employees that they supposedly serve, not just make money on processing pharmacy transactions and processing medical transactions. They are also figured out a way to make money from every single taxpaying American because the second place that their profit came from was the Medicare side, the government side mm -hmm. of the house, which is fully funded by taxpayers. Feel queasy, man. It's but I I want to point out this this is gross. Don't get me wrong, but this isn't new news. I mean, this it's it's hitting the news right now because the numbers are just wildly unbelievable. But this is how carriers have been conducting business for several years now. I mean, when the ACA happened, that's when the the medical loss ratio kicked in. But it wasn't like they were much better before all that happened. It's just that we're getting to a point, I feel, in this industry where the numbers, the sheer volume of dollars that we're talking about is unfathomable to 
even some of the wealthiest people in this country. And where where does this stop? Where does this end? And again, I mean, the opening paragraph of Wendell's, not the opening paragraph, sorry, the second paragraph of Wendell's story on this says, United Health Group, the country's largest insurer by revenue, reported on Friday that yes, the company did spend a little more paying claims between April and June than it did during the same quarter last year because of a post-pandemic uptick in the use of healthcare goods and services, outpatient care in particular. But it more than made up for it through additional money from taxpayers and a huge jump in revenue and profits in its vast optum division. Now, what you're seeing here is, is an uptick in claims netted them more money. Yeah, it took a little bit away on one side of the house, but it more than made up for it on the other sides of the house. And one of the things that I always was fascinated by when the, when the Affordable Care Act was first passed and that medical loss ratio provision first came out, I was amazed at how they were coming out of the gate at 83.4% or 84.2%, mm-hmm. so close to the 85%. I'm like, how could they possibly predict it so closely on something as wildly variable as healthcare costs, especially on tens of millions of people, maybe more than that? But you know what I believe, and I think this article backs up, it's not prediction. It's not luck. It's not even skill. They directly have levers they can pull to ensure that they maximize their revenue and profit. For example, they don't want to come in over 85% because if they do, that's on them. So they want to come in under 85% or 80% in the small group market, but they want to come as close to that line as possible. The, so they don't want to go over. So one incentive for them to sometimes lower costs or claims, I should say, is if they're over the medical loss ratio. But uh, they don't want their uh, rates going up faster than their competition either. So they want to be mindful of that. And so how do they manage this loss ratio? How do they manage the actual variability of healthcare and still come in at the most profitable percentage possible? I really believe that it's Optum that's allowing them to do it. Because most employers don't understand, and even the self-funded employers who use Optum, I bet if I asked most self-funded employers and said, if your PBM is getting you an 80% discount on generics and your employee goes pick up a $100 generic drug with an 80% discount, what do you think the pharmacy gets? And most employers will say, well, 20 bucks because we paid $20 for the drug, plus we paid Optum 3 or $4 to process the transaction, to do their work. And I said, no, unfortunately, that's not true. The pharmacy gets a substantial amount less than that, sometimes as much as 80% below that. So even your 80% discount off of wholesale is still resulting in a five times overcharge. And the difference is called spread pricing, which we've spoken about on other podcasts. That, I believe, to be the number one mechanism that these large carriers, all of whom own a large PBM now, or the PBM owns them, mm-hmm. there's no loss ratio on prescriptions. So if they're coming in at 60% loss ratio, they just jack up the price of prescriptions for the rest of the year to get back to the 80 or 85%. Likewise, if they're over, they can lower that spread. And that's where I think their biggest mechanism comes to, to stay within that loss ratio. You can't convince me at this point that these people are not criminals, that they're not just thieves. I, we talked about it in, I think it was the last episode, right? About what happens when they find a fraudulent claim in a self-funded plan. They they get rewarded for doing a bad job, for inflating people's costs. And now they, I, I mean, we'll uncover more in the PBM space, I'm sure, as the episodes go on. But even the ways they make money from the PBM is practically theft. When you look at them clawing money back from the pharmacies who are actually dispensing the drugs. Like, I here's here's how I want to end this because I knew you'd love this episode, but I spent 
years and years at carriers. And uh, every carrier that I ended up at, I ultimately pissed off my leadership and went on my way thinking, I'll find a better place, find a better place. And guess what? None of them were better. In fact, they just kept getting worse. And what I used to do makes me sick to think about it now, but I had no idea. I was very, very well trained. Like I said, we go to insurance school and we learn about the carriers and then we're trained to go out and sell the plans for the carriers. Like that's all we know when we step into this industry until someone shakes us out of it and convinces us that we're, we're all being fooled, which we are. But I spent the majority of my job working with brokers and getting them to sell more because the more that the brokers sell, the more money they make from the carrier. So yeah, they might be making a pittance on their commission if they're small group bid market. But if you write enough business with one carrier, you get massive bonuses like you talked about at this, the start of this episode, right? But then people like me who used to represent the clients at open enrollment meetings and work side by side with the broker, I'd have to tell you stupid made up things like the reason your premiums are going up and the cost out of your paycheck is going to be going up is because of the trend and it's because of the pool. And what's a pool? Oh, that's where you know all of the claims pooled together were this much. And therefore, we really have to charge you more money to make up for it. Like, wake up, guys. What are they charging you more for? They're they're making billions of dollars with a B in profit. If if pooling or trend was actually a thing, you'd be getting decreases in your premium every year. Just look at the money they're making. I don't understand. I mean, maybe I do because I was there once too and I didn't get it. Maybe I wasn't looking for it. But I don't know how employers and brokers are not just so livid at this point. It, it just, I, I don't know what we can do. At, at this point, Some a, a company that's making that much profit is, is unquashable. Well, I want to reiterate something that I've mentioned before, and this should be the final thing that gets any employer's stomach to turn. And it's really important that employers understand this. The medical loss ratio provision, which is an incentive for costs to go up to fully insured carriers, does not apply on the Medicare side. On the Medicare side, the lower the costs are, the more money United makes. On the commercial side, the higher the costs are, the more money United makes. Why was their profit up so much on the Medicare side? Because costs were down. In other words, if you buy insurance as an individual or a company from United Healthcare, it's not that United can't keep your claims down and therefore your premiums. It's that they're not motivated or incentivized to do that financially in your market. But in other markets, they are for the for 65 and over, and they do it quite well. So think about that the next time you get a 20 or 30% rate increase. And that, folks, is why we are anti-BUCA. Um, and I hope you guys will be too at some point, if you're not already. Come join our wild group of people. There's several hundred of us now. What do they call us? Disruptors, innovators. They call us a lot of bad things too sometimes, but we're always looking for people to come join the fight and we'll tell you everything you need to know. Uh, we'll, we'll uncover as much as we can for you, but that's UHC today. I'm sure we'll have uh, one of the B's, the C's or the A's next time. Absolutely. Plenty of more content coming from them, I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. And remember, there's always a hangover with healthcare. Until next time. <laughs>